Why does it always feel like improving teacher quality is an uphill battle? One big reason is that our schools are not structured to facilitate consistent teacher growth. Focusing on helping teachers to grow requires us to focus on the structures that can support their growth first. In this episode, we look at an important structure, the teacher tracking document. The teacher tracking document helps us to develop and document a coherent and consistent approach to helping individual and groups of teachers grow. Hello colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to help improve life and leadership for assistant principals. Today, I'll talk us through how to use a teacher tracking document as part of a systems approach to teacher development. After listening to this podcast, you might want to head over to my website, frederickbuskey.com backslash AP podcast to watch the video. There are several key graphics that go along with today's show that should help you. And I'll also include those images in the show notes. Back in episode one, I talked about the six dimensions of organizations. If we think about a three-sided pyramid representing an organization, the pinnacle of the organization is the purpose. The three points along the pyramid's base are people, structures, and resources. In the perfect organization, which doesn't exist, the people, the structures, and resources are perfectly aligned to the organization's purpose. In the simplest terms, the work of leadership is to improve the alignment of organizations, that alignment between purpose, people, structures, and resources. Now, structures include buildings, the arrangement of space within those buildings, but also the rules, policies, expectations, and practices that shape our actions. A block schedule is a structure that is fundamentally different from an eight-day period. They exist for different purposes, and if we try to teach during a block the way we did when we taught eight periods, it doesn't work. So our skills need to align with our structures, and both need to be aligned to our purpose. When we ask people to work towards a specific purpose, yet we have structures that aren't aligned with the purpose, it creates a situation in which people feel like they're constantly swimming upstream. Teachers already experience this misalignment often. Teachers are expected to plan rich and powerful lessons, yet they have 30 minutes a day to plan. Teachers are expected to use formative assessments to inform their focus, yet, we have pacing guides and benchmark tests. Teachers are expected to become masters of pedagogy, yet they work under pressure and expectations that make risk-taking difficult and reflection almost impossible. This misalignment makes it harder for teachers to excel at their core job and it increases pressure and frustration. As assistant principals, you're experiencing a congruent set of circumstances. The purpose of schools is to help young people develop agency over their lives and to become responsible democratic citizens, or something like that. The roles of the principal and assistant principal are integral structures. School administrators have two primary functions that are core to the purpose of the school. Keep everyone safe, create better outcomes for kids. However, we don't teach kids. 
And the number one influence on student achievement is the classroom teacher. So the formula is simple. Better teachers equal better student learning. Logically then, once we make sure that everyone is safe, our next priority is to focus on teacher development. If better teachers equal better student learning, then outside of safety, the most important things that we do are the things that help our teachers to continually grow. The challenge is that there are all kinds of things, this stuff that gets in the way. Why does this happen? It happens because our structures are not aligned to our purpose. What's happened in many schools is that while the stated purpose of the assistant principal is to contribute to the quality of instruction in the building, the unstated purpose has become to deal with all the issues that come up in day-to-day -day operations. Our school structures have followed suit. We communicate via email, which demands our constant attention. We carry walkie-talkies so that we can always be reached. We accept that interrupting what we are working on is just part of the job. And we use a narrow set of observation practices that are more aligned to accountability than to actual teacher development. The cumulative impact of, this, of these misaligned structures and purpose has a profound impact on how we lead. We mistake urgency for purpose in our day-to-day -day behaviors. So the important purposeful work of teacher development gets displaced by urgent tasks. There are tasks that are both urgent and important, especially those dealing with safety. However, there are many urgent tasks that are less important or not important at all. For example, the parent newsletter, school social media posts, or the presentation to the school board. I can hear you saying, wait, these things are important. Yes and no. None of these things, the social media, the newsletter, the report to the board, none of these things will improve student learning as much as helping a teacher to get better. The problem is that all these things are urgent, so they feel important, even though compared to safety and teacher growth, they're not. The tool that has helped me with this concept is the Eisenhower matrix. The M, as I affectionately call it, has four quadrants. The two upper quadrants are important. The two left quadrants are urgent. And the two right quadrants are not urgent. What tends to happen is that school leaders focus on the two left quadrants, the urgent work, instead of focusing on the two top quadrants, the important work. Teacher development is quadrant two work. And quadrant two is important, but not urgent. This focus on urgency happens for many reasons. And someday I'll do a deep dive on the Eisenhower matrix and, and we'll break it all down. But for now, it's enough to know that there are three large barriers to working quadrant two. The first is mindset. We need to move from prioritizing the urgent to prioritizing the important. The second barrier is processes. 
There are many urgent but less important things that can be systematized and streamlined so that they require less time to do. And finally, there are structures. If we build structures into our work that support Quadrant 2 activity, then we are more likely to engage in Quadrant 2 activity. This podcast is about one of those structures. If you're familiar with the flywheel concept, then you'll be familiar with this structural approach to teacher development. If you aren't familiar with the flywheel, I'll give you an MVP or minimally viable description right now. The flywheel is the one thing in your work that, if executed consistently over time, will create momentum in your school and will propel you to the school focus, which is, again, better outcomes for kids. The flywheel in school consists of providing professional development for teachers, evaluating and implementing the professional development focus, and using the evaluation results to then drive the next professional development. When we do this repeatedly, always using implementation results to inform subsequent growth opportunities, we create positive forward momentum because teachers are consistently getting better. There are two significant challenges with trying to improve your school using the flywheel concept. First, flywheels are hard to get started. It's like pushing a big tire uphill. And until you get to a place where you can build some momentum, every step takes work. Secondly, using a flywheel requires specific structures to be in, in place. The flywheel structures that work for you may not be identical to the structures I'm sharing, and that's fine. What is critical is that you have a flywheel and that you build the structures to support that flywheel and that your structures work. We can only have a working flywheel if we have structures in place to support it, and there are multiple structures that you will need to build. But today we're focusing on just one, the teacher tracking document. We're starting with the tracking document because honestly, this is the focus of our work in Apex this month. It isn't the best place to start, but it's where we are right now. As you listen to this podcast, it may get a bit complicated, but I encourage you to stick with it. And when you watch the video or even just look at the images in the show notes, it will all make sense. The teacher tracking document is a fundamental component of instructional team meetings. The instructional team meeting is yet another topic that I need to cover for you, but it is a set time every week where administrators and instructional support staff meet to analyze data from teacher observations, and then to use that data to inform the next round of teacher development. When I talk about teacher development, that can take multiple forms. We might be looking at the entire teaching staff, if for example, we're emphasizing student engagement strategies, or may, we may be talking about a specific group of teachers, such as grade level or a topic area, or maybe new teachers. For example, if we're phasing in a new sixth grade ELA curriculum or implementing classroom procedures with four beginning teachers, we might also be talking about the needs of a single teacher. The instruments we use and the data we gather will look different depending on who our focus is on. And the data we collect for a school-wide implementation is very different from small group and individual development. This teacher tracking document 
is designed to support small groups and individuals. In the weekly instructional leadership team meeting, leaders will discuss what they have seen in weekly observations. They will discuss the implications of that observation data for professional development and plan future PD according to what the data suggests. This PD can be for the whole staff, but again, using this document, we're more likely to focus on groups or on individuals. The first time we use a teacher tracking document, we need to add some basic information. Before we proceed, I offer you a word of caution. If you don't currently have anything like this in place, please do not try and complete the whole document for your whole staff. You won't be able to do it. You'll burn multiple hours, and in the end, it won't work for you. Start with just one teacher. This version of the form is not the only or even the right way to do it. You might want to change the form by deleting or adding. You might want to use a spreadsheet or a database or something altogether different. The format isn't that important or it's not imp as important as the purpose, which is to consistently monitor implementation of professional development. So free to make changes as you see fit. Okay, let's look at the form. The teacher tracking form is a table with 14 columns and a row for each teacher. The first six columns compose a baseline for the teacher. The information in these columns may change over time, but not week to week. Column one contains the teacher's name, columns two, column two, their nine box rating, and columns three through six capture their strengths and weaknesses in some key areas. Column one, the teacher's name is simple enough. Column two is the nine box rating. That's another show, but nine box is a really handy tool for getting your team onto the same page regarding a teacher's potential versus their performance. Nine box can help guide the type of professional development and the coaching styles that will work best with each teacher. If you don't do nine box, you could substitute your state teacher evaluation rating or some other metric. The importance of column two is that it provides guidance on overall performance level of a teacher and the type of support that is likely to be most helpful for them. The next box of columns, three through six, relate to key teaching areas. This is an optional section of the tracking chart, but many schools have specific points of emphasis and these columns allow us to be mindful of how each teacher is doing in those areas. In my example, column three has rows for classroom management, student relationships, curriculum, and pedagogy. For each of these areas, there's a rating in column four. For each of these areas, there's a rating in column four. You could use your state evaluation instrument here or something else. Column five is the strengths for each area and column six is the weaknesses. I like having this block because it helps as a reference point when we're talking about multiple facets of teacher performance. And it can help us think more strategically about the most important PD topics for each teacher. You can change the topics in the rows to suit your specific school needs, for example, Maybe you're emphasizing literacy across all subject areas. So you may want to use that instead of curriculum or instead of pedagogy. If this seems daunting, then skip it for now. Again, 
Don't feel tied to the format I have. The critical thing is that you begin tracking teacher performance and documenting your work and commitment related to helping teachers grow. Columns seven through 11 are for planning the specifics of professional development. Column seven is the focus area. For example, classroom procedures. We could be more specific, say the entering class procedure. More specific is better, but it may take some time to get into the habit of thinking in terms of small incremental changes for the focus area. Column eight is the goal. The goal should address the impact that the focus will have. For example, implementing and entering a class routine should increase available instructional time and decrease student off-task behavior. Column nine is the A to B step that the next professional development cycle needs to focus on. The concept of A to B is that incremental changes are more likely to lead to success than big changes. An A to B step should be able to be completed in one week or less. Implement five classroom routines is not an A to B step. However, observing students entering Ms. Smith's and Mr. Garrett's classes once each is an A to B step. Column 10 is for who is responsible for that A to B step. It's common to have more than one responsible, one person responsible. For example, my teacher is responsible for doing the observations, but maybe I'm responsible for letting Ms. Smith and Mr. Garrett know what's going on or for covering the first 10 minutes of the teacher's class. Column 11 is the type of support being given. This relates to another framework called the cube of development, but for now you can just indicate whether this is an individual or small group form of support. If I'm only working with one teacher on the entering class routine, then it's individual coaching. If I'm working with three or three of our first or second year teachers, then maybe it's coaching or could be group, group professional development. Columns 12 through 14 constitute the final part of the document, the observations section. This is an essential element because it is where we hold each other accountable for conducting meaningful ob classroom observations. This mutual accountability is one way that we focus ourselves on the work of quadrant two. The data we gather from our observations is also what helps us to identify the next A to B step. Column 12 is who will be doing the observation. If more than one of us will be observing, and that's good practice, then we include multiple names. Column 13 is when observations should be scheduled for a specific time. And we should know when our colleagues are doing observations so that we can cover those things that will invariably come up when someone else is scheduled to be in a classroom. Column 14 is where we summarize the data that we gather from our observations. Now, we've reviewed the entire tracking sheet. Let's talk about implementation. The first consideration is the context. If you're a principal or if your principal is on board, then schedule your instructional leadership team meeting, throw the teacher tracking document from my website into a Google Doc or other shared platform and dive right in. If this isn't going to happen right now at the school level, then at least use it yourself. 
create your own structures to support your own instructional leadership. This will work if you are an assistant principal, instructional coach, or in another teacher support role. An advantage of starting on your own is that you can figure out what works and doesn't work for you and then make changes accordingly. You'll still need to schedule an instructional leadership meeting with yourself and adhere to that maybe on Fridays at 3.30. The first time we use the document, we only want to do it with one teacher, not 10, not two, one. This is an A to B approach. If something in the format doesn't work or isn't essential for you, you'll find that out quickly before you invest a lot of time. So one teacher. Let's use Ms. Franks as an example. Ms. Franks is a third year teacher. Her growth as a teacher has been understandably disrupted by the pandemic. Ms. Franks did well pivoting to online instruction during her first year and worked hard to build relationships with students. She went beyond expectations in being available for students and in encouraging them to contact her. Ms. Franks did well in her second year when students were on an A to B schedule and class sizes were small. She struggled this fall, along with many other teachers, with the return to full-size classrooms and the period of adjustment that saw a large increase in discipline issues. During this time, Ms. Franks had referral numbers similar to other teachers, but observations showed high numbers of students off task, and Ms. Franks was asking students to be quiet multiple times during each instructional segment. It's become clear that Ms. Franks has not established classroom procedures. Though she has good relationships with students and they're rarely disrespectful, there are often multiple students talking at once, even when Ms. Franks is trying to speak. There are also students frequently moving through the classroom with no clear purpose and student discussion during group tasks has a high rate of off-task behavior. In our conversations with Ms. Franks, she admits that the students are loud, but says that's due to the pandemic and expects it to get better soon. She says that she has classroom routines, but that students don't always follow them. And she insists that she taught those routines at the beginning of the year. Ms. Franks is committed to group work and wants high levels of student engagement. She's frustrated that students frequently aren't able to demonstrate meaningful outcomes from group work and she wants to improve the, that area. In her efforts to keep students engaged, Ms. Franks uses lots of activities, some of which she purchases on Teachers Pay Teachers. As designed, most of the activities in her room are engaging, but they often are misaligned to either the standard or the depth of knowledge. You've heard from another teacher that Ms. Franks is discouraged and questioning whether she is cut out for teaching. Now, in the ideal school, every teacher is on a tracking document and receives appropriate professional development based on the data. But we know that most schools exist in a real, not ideal world. We also know that administrators, especially assistant principals, may be hard pressed to consistently support even one teacher or one group of teachers. So if you haven't gone far on your journey of teacher support, then choose just one teacher to work with. If you're only coaching one teacher, then you better choose the right teacher. 
I did a whole episode on the assistant principal podcast on how to select the right teacher to work with. So look for episode eight if you didn't listen to it already. Assuming you aren't going to pause right now and dial up that episode, here are three reasons why I think Ms. Franks is a good person to coach. First, she's willing and she wants to get better. Second, there's big bang for the buck. She could be much better than what she is if we take care of some little things. And in doing that, my life actually might become easier as referral rates from her classroom drop. Finally, she needs help in some areas that I know well enough to be able to actually help her with. So let's look at how we're going to get Ms. Franks into our tracking document. I first add her name, her nine box rating, and the ratings, strengths, and weaknesses in four areas. Classroom management, where I scored her as a one out of four. Student relationships, a four out of four. Curriculum, two out of four. And pedagogy, two out of four. These ratings should be based on evidence. Those could be formal or informal observations, discussions with Ms. Franks or other instructional leaders, or anecdotal data, such as hearing students say how, how much they like Ms. Franks. If you're working alone, you will drop this information in by yourself. However, a really powerful thing happens when we complete this as a team. It's likely that we will disagree in some places on the ratings we give teachers. Working on the form together enables us to come to consensus and provides for really rich discussions on these different teaching areas. It's common for us to observe teachers through our own biases. And when we talk with others, it can help us better understand these biases. You may also see through Ms. Frank's ratings, one in classroom management, twos in curriculum pedagogy, and a four in student relationships, that there appears to be a clear area that we should emphasize, in this case, classroom management. So is classroom management the area we will focus on? The clear answer is that it depends. In the situation where a teacher is either oblivious to their needs or is completely drowning, it is appropriate for us to determine the area of focus. If someone's drowning, we don't ask them whether or not they would like the blue rope or the brown rope. We look for the most expedient way to get them out of the water. And it's the same for a teacher that is crashing and burning. In this case, however, Ms. Franks is aware of at least some of her problems and she is not on fire yet, though we can smell smoke. In a situation like this, my preference is to allow teachers to choose the area of focus for these reasons. If the teacher chooses it, the teacher owns the results. But if I choose it, I own the results. The teacher will probably be more motivated to work on their own problem than on the one that I identify. The teacher might actually have a better understanding of their own needs than I do. Ouch. <laughs> when the teacher chooses, it's crystal clear that we are serving the teacher's needs, not our own. A successful collaboration will build trust, which will lead to more successful collaborations. And finally, an improvement in any area is a win. In Ms. Frank's case, she might achieve better classroom management or get better outcomes from group work, 
or align her activities better with the curricular objectives. These are all wins. My first conversation with Ms. Franks is going to be about her perceptions and her priorities. If I already have observation data, I can bring that into the conversation where it's appropriate. In this situation, I'm serving Ms. Franks. So I want this conversation to be about her and her needs. If she asks for my input, I'll give it and point to the data that I'm using as a basis for my thoughts. Let's play with a couple of options for her focus. In terms of needs, classroom management is a priority with needs being clear structure and reinforcing routines. Curriculum activities don't align to the standards and that's important. And for pedagogy, Ms. Franks has stated that she wants to improve her prompts and procedures for group work. If there were five APs on this show trying to decide what the best area of focus was, we would get at least two different answers, probably three. So don't be surprised when Ms. Franks chooses a different area than you would, and don't be overly confident that your idea was the best. What is obvious to me is not obvious to you and vice versa. Remember, no matter which one of these things she picks, if we're successful, the kids and Ms. Franks will benefit. So let's imagine that Ms. Franks wants to, get, wants to use better prompts for group work. This isn't what I would have chosen, but it's more important for her to be invested than for me to be right. Remember that columns seven through 11 are where we document our specific coaching plan and teacher support. In column seven, I'm going to put the focus area. Narrower is better. For Ms. Franks, we'll use put prompts that lead to answers that align to the curricular focus. Column eight is our goal. It's helpful to think about impact here. What do we want to happen as a result of our work? Ms. Franks wants students to come up with meaningful answers as a result of group work. Column nine is our A to B step. This is where it gets complicated, and I've gotten tripped up many, many times. My inclination for Ms. Frank's goal would be to hand her some guidelines on writing good prompts and ask her to try them out, but that probably would not work. Part of the issue is that her group procedures are weak. So even if the, good, if, even if the prompts are good, she may not get the results she wants. If I simply ask her to try some prompts and they fail, then what? If Ms. Franks doesn't really understand how to create good prompts, then if group work fails, she won't know whether it is a prompt or something else. So maybe the A to B step is that she reads something on prompts and that she takes five prompts she's previously used and thinks about how to change them. In column 10, we record who's responsible for the A to B step. In this case, Ms. Franks is responsible for reading, pulling five old prompts, and reflecting. And I am responsible for following up with the instructional coach to make sure there's a good reading available. In column 11, I put the type of support being given. In this case, coaching. If I was working with three of our new teachers on the same thing, this might be small group PD instead, and that would change the nature of the conversation and tasks. In my example, 
The observation is actually a review of her updated prompts, as in this example for March 10th, and that the answers were related to the standards, but that off-task discussion was still high and a single student did most of the talking. As Ms. Franks and I work through the process, the teacher tracking sheet will get updated with new A to B steps. Okay, I hope this all makes sense. In wrapping up, let's reiterate a few key points. Ideally, we use this document as part of an instructional leadership team meeting, but you can use it on your own. There is nothing magical about what I've included and excluded in this chart, so change it to fit your own needs. If you're just beginning, use it on just one teacher. You can listen to episode eight of the Assistant Principal Podcast to help you decide which teacher would be the best. As a general rule of thumb, let the teacher decide the area of focus. Break down the desired outcome into incremental A to B steps. Plan and document your, or your observations. And remember that there is a video on my website, frederickbuskey.com backslash AP podcast and that there are visuals in the show notes. I may also develop a handout, but I can't promise that right now. At this point, I've invested about six hours into developing this podcast, and you have invested at least 30 minutes in listening to it. If you're inspired to try a teacher tracking document or to take better advantage of something you have already in place, then the time for both of us is well worth it. However, if this podcast episode didn't help you, then it was a lost opportunity for both of us. The only way I know whether or not I'm hitting the mark is by getting feedback from you. The hardest part of producing a podcast is not knowing how you're doing. Our download numbers are going up each episode, but every episode is different, and I can't really tell what's working and what's not just from download numbers. So please, help me make this podcast better. Are these deep sort of nerdy dives into a specific tool or choice, are they helpful? Would you rather just have interviews of other people? And what topics do you really need to hear right now? You can email me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com and I would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and rate this podcast. This is the only show in the world that I can find that's devoted to assistant principals and subscribing and rating will help your colleagues find this show. If you'd like more content tailored towards the needs of assistant principals, you can head over to my website at frederickbuskey.com. You might wanna consider looking into APEX, the Assistant Principal Acceleration Program. You'll get weekly emails, tools, and be able to participate in monthly group coaching and webinars. I'd love to get to know you more through APEX, but no worries if now's not the right time. That wraps up today's shows. I'm Frederick Buskey, and I hope you'll join me next time for the Assistant Principal Podcast.